Last week we started this series called Finish Strong, and uh, just blown away by this series. It's just so powerful, um, so challenging. You know, and, and the idea with this series is it's important to start, right, but it's really more important to finish. You know, this is March Madness, and I don't know, for some reason, I'm more drawn to basketball uh, this year than I have been in previous years. I don't know, maybe I'm just tired of the kids, and I need a break, and I just want to focus on something else. But uh, one thing I've noticed is that there's not as many upsets that there has been in previous years. But it seems like each and every game, most of them, have been very close, like down to the wire. I've, I've seen several uh, overtime games and, uh, you, you know, close finishes, and that just tells you what's important. Finishing. It doesn't matter if you went undefeated in the regular season. It matters how you finish, right? Christianity is the same. It's the same. Man. Look, beginning is important, but you need to understand something. When you give your life to the Lord, that's what you're doing. You're giving your life to the Lord. Do you understand that? It's a commitment. And so in, in the Gospels, Jesus even says this, before you follow me, you need to count the cost. You need to understand what you're doing here. You're not just pledging allegiance verbally, but you're laying down your life spiritually, physically. Mentally, emotionally, you're giving your life over to the Lord. So we're here for a purpose. We're here to finish our course and our scripture that this series is really built upon is Hebrews 12. And it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so in this series, we look to Jesus, literally, we're going to read about him. We're looking at the Passion Week specifically, and we look at things that Jesus faced, different things that he encountered, and what he did when he encountered them. Because here's why. A lot of those things we face. And a lot of those things we have in common with Jesus as far as facing those challenges. But here's what we do a lot of times is we allow it to affect us differently. And... Sometimes we allow those things to knock us off course. Sometimes we allow those things to keep us from finishing altogether. Last week we talked about anger, and I just got to tell you, I knew it was going to be a, a powerful message or whatever when I was getting ready for it. I had no idea it was going to be like that, delivering it. I mean, for me, you know, uh, God's Spirit cut me open. Do you know what I'm saying? It, I mean, it, it literally uh, spoke to me in a way. I felt it was much stronger. It, that message was for me. And so I got an idea, uh, idea that this series is just going to be like that. It's going to be, uh, you know, given by God and led by God. And, and so hopefully God will speak to you through it too. Today I want to talk to you about betrayal. About betrayal. And as soon as I say that, I know you think Judas and so, yeah, that's, that's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about Judas and, and Judas betraying Jesus. Um, some of you have been betrayed, and I know, I, I just want to tell you this. I've spent some time, a few minutes this week, 
praying for you specifically. Some of you I know. Some of you I, I don't know you by name, but I know that you've been betrayed. Um, I know you're dealing with that. Uh, studies show that one in four people have been betrayed. So statistically, I know that you're here. That also tells me that maybe you haven't been betrayed, but you will be. There's a good chance you will be. And so I I think this is a great message for, for all of us. But for those of you that have been, you know what it's like. It's devastating, isn't it? Uh, It's devastating. Why? Because betrayal involves someone that you trust. As a matter of fact, by definition, in order for it to be betrayal, there has to be trust established first. Think about it. Your enemies don't betray you. The author of the Hunger Games popular book series and now now movie uh, series, Suzanne Collins, says, For there to be betrayal... There would have to have been trust first. That's why it hurts so much. You know, when we think of betrayal, we think of marriage. You know, sometimes husband and wife, the covenant of marriage is broken and trust is lost. We, We think about that. It could be other family members involved in that betrayal. It could even be parents betraying their own children. I read a devastating story this week. I just saw it in in the headlines of a uh, human trafficking of teenage girls. And we read about that, and and it it is a thing here in America. You know, we think, oh, that takes place somewhere else in the world. Well, yeah, it does, but it takes place here too, more than what I ever thought. But here's what broke my heart about this story of this human uh, trafficking case was that it was a teenage girl and the person that trafficked her was her own father. Uh, Multiple times. Uh, That's tough. That's devastating. You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be a family member. It could be a friend, somebody that you grew up with, somebody that you've known for a long time, somebody that... You just knew you could trust. It could be a coworker, somebody that you worked with for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. You've established this relationship and you've built up a level of trust and it's lost in one moment. Betrayal hurts and the, the closer that the person is to you, the more it hurts. And, and this is why I think this is important for us. This is why I wanted to share this with you. Is because many times betrayal has traumatic effects. Depends on what it is. Sometimes people that are betrayed, they struggle to recover. I know know you've, you've seen instances like this where the folks are in this stage that they're in and they never get out of it. Sometimes they never recover. Betrayal, it breaks your heart, it crushes your spirit, it diminishes your desire to move on. So look, betrayal is tragic, it's devastating, but here's what I want to share with you in in loving encouragement, is that we can't allow that to keep us from finishing our course. See, your identity is not in, in a person. 
Your identity is in a Savior if you're a Christian, right? Even though a person can betray you, your identity is in the Lord who is always faithful. You see? So we do not need to allow a betrayal, no matter how painful, no matter how tragic, to prevent us from finishing. Because you're here for a reason, to finish. Today we'll be in Matthew 26. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We talked about this last week. uh, Jesus being in the temple, he cleansed the temple. And literally he came in and, and took some things that were dishonoring God and he turned them around and And now things were honoring God. He was ministering to people. He was healing people. He was teaching. And he sort of set up camp here inside the temple for a couple of days. And really, there's five chapters. Matthew goes and writes five chapters involving just a couple of days of Jesus' teaching. He teaches a lot of parables in this time. But do you think this would go over well with the religious leaders, what Jesus did? It wouldn't. Let's look at uh, verse 3 of chapter 26. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So one thing I know about these guys is they never really got along with Jesus. You know, they didn't have a falling out. There was never... A relationship really to begin with and now that Jesus came into their city and into their home so to speak into their temple and during their biggest festival in their life Passover and they just they were not happy they were angry Jesus had came in and turned their world upside down and instead of responding the way they should have like the way we talked last week they responded in a way that definitely didn't honor God they they met in secret to try to kill God kill the son of God they plotted they planned they were trying to figure out how to how to do away with their problem but they didn't want to cause any trouble with the Romans you see as we talked last week this was like a tense situation you had the Jewish capital but yet it was under Roman occupation and they had attempted to have some uprisings in the past and the Romans would react swiftly and violently and tragically and they would kill thousands of people in the process so you see the the religious leaders were trying to balance that out they didn't like where they were but they didn't want to overreact so they're thinking how do we get rid of our problem and do it the way that benefits us and doesn't hurt us verse 14 then one of the twelve the one called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So there's, I just want to pause here. Matthew is very specific about bringing this to our attention. He says, Judas, one of the twelve, In other words, he's letting us know Judas is part of this group, right? One of the 12, and and one of the 12 went to the chief priests. You know, the, the religious leaders were trying to figure out what to do. How can we do this? How can we achieve our plan? Well, they didn't have to do much planning. 
did they? Judas went to them, you see, and he said, what do you give me? What do you give me if I bring him to you? And so they counted it out to Judas, 30 pieces of silver, which is exactly the same amount that is mentioned to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. I told you last week, I misspoke, so I apologize. I had it right in my notes. I just said it wrong. Um, one in three million are the odds for one person to fulfill one prophecy. So you think, well, that's pretty good odds. Well, yeah. But if you just go to two, those odds increase exponentially. As a matter of fact, for one person just to fulfill eight Old Testament prophecies, the number is, the odds are one in 10 to the 21st power. Now that number has a name. I'm not going to try to say it. I'll embarrass myself. But this is, this is the reason, and if you research this, if you read through this stuff, if you see that Jesus was a historical figure, if you see that the Old Testament writers were historical people writing about history, the empty tomb plus the fact that Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies means that there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. There will never, ever be anybody like him. The odds are not in that favor, you see. But Jesus did this. Uh, I'm sorry, Judas did this. Judas went to them and he watched. He watched for an opportunity and literally he wouldn't have to wait very long. The opportunity would come very quick. As a matter of fact, uh, this is probably the next day, the next evening anyway. Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. Notice this language again. With the twelve. You see? Matthew's drawing our attention to that. With the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now they were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Surely you don't mean me. Now, Jesus is the Son of God, full deity. He, he knew what was going to happen to him. He knew what was going to take place. And so he decides to tell them while they're eating dinner. Anybody else think that's awkward? Yeah, that would just be, be a strange encounter. He told everybody during the Passover meal. And each one of them, it says, they became sad. They, they all started questioning, well, is it me? Could I do this? Right? And even in another gospel, Peter's even, even quoted as saying, look, I'm not going to do this. It's not going to be me. <laughs> I won't deny you. So they're all thinking. And then it comes to Judas. He, he says in verse 25, then Judas the one who would betray him said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Uh, Jesus answered, You have said so. In other words, Jesus says, You have said correctly. You have said correctly. Now, Judas is the prime example of someone not finishing. Someone not starting. I mean, someone starting and not finishing. He's only mentioned at the calling of the disciples. And then here... Near the end, 
There's a brief mentioning of him when he complains about Jesus and some oil and using some oil, but that's it. That is it. He, He drifted away from his initial encounter with Jesus, from his initial calling, really. Jesus called him. He drifted away. And it's interesting. We're not going to go back and look at the previous verse, but I want you to look at how Judas responded. Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. What did the other guy say? Surely you don't mean me, Lord. That's what they said. You know, Judas, Judas had already lost faith in who Jesus was. He wasn't Lord anymore. He's simply rabbi, teacher. You know, after his exchange with Jesus, Judas left right away. I want you to think about this. This, this literally takes place so fast. Judas leaves and he immediately goes to the religious leaders to make final preparations to hand Jesus over. And within hours, they would show up in the garden to arrest him. Jesus was betrayed by someone close. One of the twelve. Someone who you would think you would be able to trust. Now, what would Jesus' reaction be? Stop him? Go off on him? Uh, get, get the other guys to take him out back? Rough him up? You know? Or, or just, man, man, can you believe this guy's going to do this to me and just make everybody's evening miserable, ruin the dinner? Would Jesus do that? No, again, like last week, his reaction is surprising. Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You know, after being betrayed, Jesus did what none of us would do. He, he goes right into establishing the Lord's Supper with the other disciples. And this blows me away when I think about it. They were in the middle of celebrating Passover. This was a big deal. This was very important to them. They were eating that together to celebrate Passover. And Jesus takes some of the food for that and does something different with it. I want you to understand Passover was such a big deal. Everything had a purpose. Everything they ate, everything they set out, everything they drank, the whole process, the whole order, everything had a purpose. Everything was important. There was nothing accidental. There was nothing spontaneous. Everything was planned out. Jesus comes in and alters the plan. He, he, he changed it. He took the bread, and, and, which had one purpose in the Old Testament, right? He took, the, he took the wine, and he repurposed it. 
He, he said, this is my body and this is my blood. And with you, I'm establishing a new covenant. Oh, you see how big that is? The Old Testament covenant, the reason they were celebrating Passover, the law, and Jesus was establishing a new covenant. Now, when I say covenant, I want you to think of the word proposal. You know, with a proposal, somebody writes something up on one end and gives it to another. Well, the other person has to accept it, right? So with the Old Testament law, God initiated it, but the people had to say, okay, we'll do this. We'll abide by this. We'll go through this. Jesus said, I'm making a new covenant with you. Who can do that but God? And it's still sort of like a proposal. Jesus initiates it, but it's up to us to accept it, to have faith in it. Now, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper momentarily, but I just want to finish out this way. What does this have to do with betrayal? What is the Lord's Supper? How are we going to connect this? Look, betrayal hurts. We can all agree on that. But just because someone betrays you does not mean your life's over. There is life after betrayal and you still have a course to finish. So I want to look at what we can learn from Jesus and what we can learn about betrayal. First of all is this, Jesus gave himself to others. Jesus gave himself to others. When we are betrayed, who do we think about? Ourselves. And and look, I get it. Many times you cannot focus on anything else because you're hurt so bad. You're focused on your feelings. You're focused on your well-being. However, look, just listen to me. We're going to close out in a minute. A good remedy for that is to focus on others. To move from focusing on you to focusing on others. After being betrayed, Jesus did communion with his disciples. He took the initiative. The guys didn't say, hey, hey, Jesus, you need to talk. We're here for you. You need to spend some time together. No, he, he was the one betrayed and he took the initiative to seek them out. Jesus turned his attention to them. He, he served them. Literally, he gave himself, my body, my blood, he gave himself to others and Jesus did this for them when you think about it he didn't have to do this he didn't have to do the Lord's Supper the Last Supper however you want to phrase it he didn't have to do that he could have been betrayed and just went on to Gethsemane and on to the cross didn't have to do that why why did he do that then he did it for them for others He knew where he was going. He knew what was going to take place, what was going to happen. So he wanted his disciples to be able to look back and think, oh, I get it. This is why he did that. He wanted them to understand what he was doing. Not only them, but you see, for many, he wanted us to understand too. His focus was on others. And look, this is very simple. But when we give ourselves to others, we are acting like Jesus. It's that simple. Uh, The effects of betrayal can eat 
and eat and eat away at your life. But look, if you take the initiative to give it away, you become fulfilled. That's ironic, isn't it? You give your life away, it fills you. Or you can simply allow the effects of betrayal to eat away at you. What we learn from Jesus is you know, we, we give our lives away. Don't focus on what you lost, focus on what you give. The last thing, only two things here. The last thing, and this is similar, Jesus showed the importance of fellowship. Jesus showed the importance of fellowship. You know, one thing people tend to do after betrayal is isolate themselves. Think about it. You, you close yourself off from anybody because you trust no one now. There's so much hurt, there's so much loss of trust that you simply close yourself off. And look, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not important to deal with those things on your own, to work through that. I understand that. I'm not saying that at all. But isolation long-term is detrimental to the healing process. It is. Uh, Jesus went from betrayal into a very intimate time of fellowship with his disciples. I cannot explain to you how intimate this was. He did the Lord's Supper with them, which was a very special thing. And if we think about it from Jesus' perspective, it would have been very emotional. So just a special moment. And then he says this in verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you. With you in my Father's kingdom. And then look at this. When they had sung a hymn, they went out together. They went out to the Mount of Olives. Excuse me. He focused on fellowship. He did it while he was there with them. And then what did he look forward to? Fellowship in eternity. Fellowship was important to Jesus. Look, not only did they share a meal together, but they sang a hymn together, which tells us that they worshipped God together. And then afterwards, they left together. And just by doing this, Jesus is showing us how important fellowship is. He was betrayed by one, but he sought the fellowship of many. I hope you see that. I hope you see that. In closing, I just want to share with you this, this little phrase or whatever. Betrayal hurts, but fellowship heals. Betrayal hurts, fellowship heals. Let me ask you this. Who are your people? Who are your people? Who's your family? Who's your group? Who are those people that you go to when you need to? If you don't have that group, it's important that you take the initiative to seek that out. Look, I beat my head every single week trying to think of ways to get people connected and get them involved. But look, there's only so much I can do. At the end of the day, it's ultimately up to you. No matter what I say, no matter how many carrots I put out in front of you, no matter how I explain it to make it sound like it's appealing, it's up to you to get involved and to go seek out those people. 
you ask, you talk to people. You take the initiative. Why? Because you need others. You need others. And now look, I'm not talking about just anyone. Just anyone is okay. Just friend is okay. Just acquaintance is okay. Just somebody at work. Look, I understand that you need to relieve some tension and maybe share some things. That's okay. But what I'm talking about is believers. Other Christians. Why? Because you're not running the same race they are. They're on a different track. They're in a different game than you are. It's important that you have fellowship with others that have Jesus in common. And if that's the only thing you got in common, that's enough. It's critical that you have brothers and sisters in, in faith and in Christ involved in your life. In my devotion this morning, this is how God works. I read Rick, Rick Warren's devotionals. They come to me automatically. I sign up for them. He says this, we are created for community, fashioned for fellowship, and formed for a family. None of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. That's so true. As we close, who do you have around you that will help you grow closer to God? Who do you have around you that will worship with you when you fall? When you are hurting. What we learn from Jesus in this is that betrayal is painful. I'm sure that was on his mind. As a matter of fact, it, he expressed some anger with that. That was on his mind. Betrayal is hurtful, devastating, but fellowship, fellowship is healing. And fellowship will help you finish strong. It will. Now, we're going to transition into a time of communion. Um, the guys are going to come up and help us distribute the elements. I'm going to pray for us in just a second. Uh, after I pray, they'll be handing out the, the elements, and we'll take communion together as a family. I just want to say, you know, we're told in God's Word that this time is special. And so I just want you, as it's being handed out, to pray to God. You know, if there's areas in your life that you know, you know that you need to talk to God about, I ask that you do that now. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness. Maybe you need to ask for strength. We all need to uh, proclaim gratitude and thank God for what he did for us. So I'm going to ask the guys to go ahead and come up. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then I want you to pray where you're at as they hand out the elements. Father God, we come to you now. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your spirit who made your word clear to us. We thank you for your, um, your just love for us, God. And how you never leave us where we're at. We come to you as we are, but you never leave us there. And you want us to grow in our faith. You want us to grow in our love. And you have, Ephesians tells us that you have good works 
that you've created us to do. And you have a course that you want us to run. And you have a purpose for our lives. We just ask that we have the wisdom, um, many times the humility, uh, to understand that, that we're not here for us, that we're here for you. Help us just to have the uh, strength to be focused on what you want for our lives. As we take communion together, what an amazing privilege it is to remember the body that was placed on the cross in place of mine, in, in place of our lives. Father, we're thankful for the blood, the perfect blood of Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. We're thankful for that. And as we do this together, we are focused on unity and knowing that we are one, one body, because we are baptized into that one body through one spirit, and we serve one Lord. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.